0: Someone's probably standing in life right now and you're looking at a valley, a valley you don't want to go into because you know what that valley has. You know the sorrow that's coming. God is over that valley and he's with you in it. He's got his hand on your back and he's saying, let's go, go with him. Some of you are in the middle of the valley right now, screaming to get out. God is in there with you right now. And he promises that this valley is always temporary for my children and it always has a purpose. Some of us are on top of the mountain, but we're not moving because we got out of the valley and we don't want to go anywhere because we want to get back in there again. And God's saying, no, there's still work to be done. Take his hand and keep going. Our God is the God that's over all things, all things, every circumstance, every situation of life. We trust him. He's with us. He loves us and he wants to use us. He wants to bring more people into salvation and to save people and bring them to forgiveness in every single moment for God's children in every single valley and every single height and low, whatever it is, it's all part of this great plan to exalt his son and to show people the love that's in Jesus. We start singing some of these songs, asking the spirit to move, saying, I'm, I'm available. <laughs> and to bring in our hearts to a place where he's powerful, you know, Corey, you ask God, Spirit, move. Spirit's moving. He's moving in my heart. Trust He's moving in your heart as well. And you know, you know what He's asking you to do. It's worth being obedient to. So let's pray. Father, thank you. For your kindness and your mercy and your grace and your strength that you're with us, your presence. I pray that you would help us this morning. Um, Every morning we get together, there's always something, something in our life, part of the world pulling us away, something in our mind that's being conformed to the world, something we're forgetting. And you want your people to constantly be refreshed and renewed. And we must open your word and see these great promises and truths of life that will invigorate us and bring us back to a place where our mind's centered and believing truth. So I pray you do that this morning. Open our hearts and minds. Take off the blinders. If it's repentance you're drawing us to, then by the power of your spirit, convict us to a place where we surrender, we repent, and we turn and come to you. Father, if it's encouragement we need, because we're so discouraged by lies that the enemy is speaking or other people and we're believing them, you'd remove them and you'd replace it with truth. God, if it's just pain, affliction, we need comfort, that you would supernaturally cover us with the comfort as you are the God of all comfort and God with everything. You'd be pleased by what you hear and you'd move in our hearts today as your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe seated. Kids, hope you have a great uh, time at Summit Kids, and if you're wanting to go to our baptism class, want to learn more about that, that's happening right out this door in our learning center. For everyone else, we're going to turn to John 16, John chapter 16. So we have, we've been going through this series called Real Peace. And you know what? It's getting close to its conclusion. Actually, today and next week is going to conclude Jesus' conversation with his disciples. This, this conversation that started uh, in the upper room and has worked its way to a place where we are now and we're seeing sorrow fill the disciples' hearts, it's going to come to an end next week. And then we're going to conclude this series in John 17 where we're going to see Jesus turn and pray, personally pray for the Father. He prays for his disciples. He prays for us. And it's it's a beautiful, beautiful representation of the heart of Jesus and his relationship with the Father. Real peace. Let me reiterate that. Real peace. Implying there's a fake type of peace. Peace. That we strive for in the world and Jesus shows up and he gives us real peace and it's validated in the midst of hard times, right? Because you know it's real when it's able to show up and endure through the hard times. Fake peace leaves when the circumstances go the way we don't want them to go. Then the fake peace is nowhere to be found because our fake peace is so dependent on circumstances, is it not? It's not real peace. Real peace is the peace that God gives in the midst of all circumstances, Today, we're, we're going we're, we're to actually hold off on bringing this passage into our personal lives. And, and we're, we're going to read and walk through and understand, and then we're going to bring it home and make it personal. I, I want to remind you the context, though. Last week, we Learned about this comfort that Jesus was giving them through this promise of the helper. Multiple times he had reiterated the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the helper. He's coming and he's going he's to do certain things. He's going to convict the world. He's going to be the power that, that isn't on your shoulders and it's on his shoulders. He's going to convict the world and he's going to remind you of all truth and guide you of all truth. And he's going to be with you. And he's going he's gonna to take the things that I tell him and he's going to declare them to you. It's going to be me In you, Everything you feel from him, you hear from him, you know of him are my words and my presence. And so Jesus has been saying, I'm leaving, I'm going, but I'm going to come back, but I'm going to be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in you and my presence will be there and it's going to be better. It's going to be, I know it's hard to believe, but it's going to be better than me standing right next to you. So he comforted his disciples with this Holy Spirit. Today the passage is entitled, Sorrow Turned to Joy. Right, This is what we want. We want our sorrow turned to joy. So let's do this. This is just a continuation of where we left off. We had to put a to be continued, but he's still in that same flow of conversation. Sorrow has filled the disciples' hearts. Get the idea of no room for anything else. Their hearts has been totally full. His cup, Their cup overrunneth with sorrow. This is where they're at, and Jesus is continuing to speak to him. So, John chapter 16, uh, verse 16, and we're going to read through verse 24. I'm going to read it. You follow along. Here we go. Jesus says this A little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you'll see me. So, some of the disciples said to one another, what is this? He says to us uh, a little while and you'll not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Verse 19. And now I want you to pay attention as we read through the re- Jesus speaking. Listen to how many times he references their joy. So Jesus responds. Verse 19. Verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you'll see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one, no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, so we've read the passage. I want to show you here on the screen. We've read the passage, that's the first thing. So I'm giving you a little, a little clue, and even what I would say is anytime you approach any passage, there's probably a good order you should follow. You know what the first thing is we want to do when we read a passage? Okay, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? That needs to come last, come last. First we've read it. Now let's explain the passage, and then I'm going to summarize it, right? So we we'll get our heads wrapped around it. So let's walk back through the passage and let's make sure we, we understand and we have the, the explanation of what's actually going on here. Even the interpretation of what we're saying. So this is narrative. So this isn't a passage and none of this has really been a passage or a scripture that is, that is being written to churches telling people what to do. This is a, an account that's written. So we're reading and hearing about what happened So it's even harder to apply it to ourselves. But there is something to learn here. And God tells us everything has been written for our instruction and example and spiritual benefit. Right? So we're going to work together with this. We've read the passage. Now let's look back at it and gain some understanding. You ready? Okay, verse 16. Look what Jesus says. This is the confusing verse. Jesus says to them, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again a little while and you will see me. Now, you can see by the next few verses that the disciples are clearly confused by this. They have no idea what he's talking about. Actually, they're not even saying this to themselves. They're all just kind of thinking it amongst themselves. So look what he says there, verse 17. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? Maybe some whispering going on in the back or something like that. A little while and you'll not see me. And again, a little while and you'll see me. And because I'm going to the Father, which he's iterated multiple times through these passages, I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? I think that's a good question because that's what we should be asking ourselves when we read verse 16. And Jesus says, a little while and you'll not see me. And again, a little while you'll see me. Okay, Jesus, what are you talking about? So they're confused, right? This makes sense. We can see this clearly. They're confused. What does he mean by that? And he literally says, we do not know what he is talking about. This is, this is what's going through their hearts as they're listening to Jesus speak. Now, remember the context. They're in a place right now where sorrow is filling their hearts. Actually, last week we ended by Jesus saying, I have many other things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. And, and so Jesus has, has, knows that he's talking to people that are in a pretty weak state, a very comparable state or compromised state in mind because they're so emotionally distraught by what they're hearing. And this brings even more confusion. Now they're they're starting to really wrestle with all this. And look at verse 19. Jews, Jesus knew, right? He, he knew. This is, he knew that they wanted to ask him. They weren't asking him, but he knew that they wanted to. So he said to them, is this what you're asking, among yourselves? Is this what you're thinking, essentially? A little. What, what, what did I mean when I said a little while, and you'll not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Right. So Jesus pulls it out. He, see, he can see the expression on their face. He knows their hearts. He knows what probably they're whispering behind the scenes that he can't hear. And Jesus speaks into it. He doesn't just let that confusion go. He says, hey, what do you guys, hey, I know you, is this what you want to ask me? And then he asked the question, what did you mean by a little while? Okay, yeah, Jesus, that's what we're thinking. And then he says this in verse 20. Notice what he says. Notice how he answers. Notice how he explains to them the question. Truly, truly. Especially when Jesus says that, he he is reiterating Multiple times how true this is, what he's saying. It is amen, amen. It is so, it is so. What I'm about to tell you, you can count on it, take it to the bank. This is true. I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Oh, great, Jesus. Wonderful news. Really? This is how you answer the question? This is how you comfort us by telling us that we're 100% Truly, truly, you can count on it and take it to the bank. Going to be miserably weeping and lamenting. And the world, the evil world, the world that does not know you or care for you or hate you is going to be rejoicing. But he doesn't end there. He says this. You will be sorrowful, but, but, this is also part of the truly, truly, your sorrow will turn to joy. Right, here's where the good news comes in. Here's where the prediction is 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 not just staying sorrowful, but it's turning into joy. And then he helps them understand what he's saying by giving an illustration. And notice so far, he hasn't explained at all any details of what they're really wanting to know. What does he mean by all of this? Give us the details, the timing, at what point time, and what do you mean when you say it? He's not giving them the details, is he? He says, just... Truly, truly, you're going to weep and lament. But your sorrow is going to turn to joy. And then he gives this illustration. Let me help you better understand what I mean. And look at this wonderful, perfectly God Himself inspired, knowing our hearts and what we need to focus on and what we need to hear to understand truly what he's saying, illustration that he gives to us. He says, verse 21. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Now, uh, for the ladies in here who have actually given birth, is this the true statement? Is there, is there uh, an anticipation of pain and sorrow when the labor pains hit? Is that something you look forward to or don't? Let me see by the nod of the head or the shaking. Do you look forward to that? kind of a rhetorical, well, it's not rhetorical. It's definitely rhetorical because you don't need to give me an answer. No one's like, yeah, I can't wait for these labor pains. I've had, I have three girls. My wife has gone through three pregnancies and three births, which means three experiences of labor and sorrow. And I can tell you like that. That that is very, it's like the 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 weeks before were never have it, I never could. That's the last one I can hear her laughing. And you get through all that pain, right? And then you're holding that child in your arms. And the joy overflows your heart. And, and as I'm, before I'm even like, we're even home, right? And I'm already settled on this plan, this, this I think, logical plan. We're not having any more kids. The plan's thrown out the window, And we're already talking about what the name of the next baby is going to be. Think it'll be a boy or a girl. I'm like, we don't even have this one home from the hospital yet. (laughs) This is a true experience. Jesus says this. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also... You have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Again, he's not giving them details, but he is assuring them that what's going to happen will be, a, you need to be thinking about it like labor pains, which means you need to be looking at the pain that's coming like that. It's a, it's a necessary pain, but something's going to shift just like when a baby's born, And that pain is not going to be remembered anymore, and it's going to be the opposite. It's going to be a heart filled with joy. Now, let's interpret, before I finish and we go on a little bit, let's interpret some of this little while that Jesus is talking about. It's a right question. So what does Jesus mean for us looking back on this event, having the, the full like knowledge of the New Testament time, and, and we already can look back and we know about Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, that he's in heaven, and that he's we're waiting on him to come back. Let's interpret. What does Jesus mean when he's telling his disciples, a little while, and you'll no longer see me. And then you will see me. It's a good question. But there is some debate to this. We actually have some. It could it could mean several different things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know what it could mean, and then I'm gonna tell you what I what I believe it's talking about, and maybe how we should look at it this morning. So when Jesus says, "A little while, and you'll no longer see me," that either is referring to literally in a few hours. I'm gonna be taken away, betrayed, and it'll be the last time you're ever with me and I'm gonna go into a, 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 a wrong council among my people and then taken before judges who will declare me innocent and then my own people will scream for me to be crucified and I will be crucified and I will die and I'll be put in a tomb and I'll be in a grave and you will no longer see me. And then when I rise from the dead, You will see me again and your hearts will be filled with joy. It also could mean Jesus could have a bigger, could have a bigger picture in mind. And he's actually thinking about the time when he ascends after the resurrection. He actually ascends and goes to heaven and they see him no longer. But then when the Holy Spirit comes again, they will see him again, right? There's some. Some debate about the exact timing. We're looking back, trying to make sense. But I I, want, I, I wanted to give you both and to tell you what my personal conviction is. Given the fact that he's in the context of talking about the Holy Spirit coming and that being a, a big revelation, and he's been talking about, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going to the Father, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to depart. Your sorrow, your heart's gonna be filled with sorrow. I believe the. The most uh, immediate context we should have is, okay, a little while I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be dead and you're not going to see me. And there's going to be weeping and lamenting for those days I'm in the tomb. And what do we see? we see? We see even Peter as he denies Jesus. The last thing we hear about Peter before we hear about Peter after the resurrection is that he went away and he wept bitterly. And so we know the disciples are spending this time after Jesus has died And they're extremely sorrow. And who's rejoicing during that time? Who are the people that's rejoicing during that time? It's the Jews. It's those who killed him. It's whatever people thought that Jesus was a nuisance and needed to be wiped off the face of the planet. They're the ones rejoicing. But he says, a little while you'll see me again and your weeping will turn to joy. Your sorrow will turn to joy. And then when the, the women went to the tomb and the angel said that Jesus is not here, he has risen. Go tell the disciples. And they run and tell the disciples and the, the disciples are like, you're crazy. Go away. We don't, no, stop. We're over here trying to do business here. No, go. He has it but they persist and they run to the tomb and they see that the tomb is empty and then Jesus appears to them miraculously over periods of time and then he's there in the the upper room and he's seeing them and they're with him And, and they're with Jesus again. Over 500 different believers saw the resurrected Jesus and then there was a time between the book of Luke and Acts when Jesus is like, I've been with you, it's now time for me to go to the Father and he ascends and they watch him ascend and the angel says like, you men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into the heavens? The same Jesus who left in the same manner will return. Now go, pray, and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter two, God's spirit descends upon his people. And since then, you and I have known the presence of God and seeing Jesus and him being with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So a little while you'll not see me, I'm gonna die. A little while you will see me. We know as sometime post-resurrection, because that's when their sorrow turned into joy. Are we tracking? feel like we kind of have an understanding, like there's, there's some gray able to shift around, but immediate sorrow's coming. After he's resurrected, everything's changed. The exact timing of what he means by this, that's okay. But we do know post-resurrection, that's when everything starts to change. This is this labor pains he's talking about and the event that's gonna turn their sorrow into joy by the way i want to point out that they're not sorrowful because he's going to to die and then something's going to happen that's different that's going to overcome their sorrow it's the very same event that caused their sorrow that's going to overflow and fill their hearts with joy here we are with hindsight. We look back and all of our songs in some way or another and all of our joy and our passion point to this one event of Jesus sacrificing his life and dying on the cross. The same event that these disciples now are weeping and lamenting over, thinking about it. How could this be a good thing? Watching his body mangled and then taken from them and the humiliation and the shame and the horror of seeing that and experiencing that. But then that same event that brought so much sorrow is the same event that has brought all the joy. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Jesus says, I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And then he promises this, no one, no one will take your joy from you. And as we learned last week, as most of these disciples are are killed in some martyrdom and horrible fashion, even up to the point of their lives being laid down and being crucified and whipped and dragged through the streets and stoned and killed and their heads being cut off. All the way up to those points, even those events couldn't take their joy away, could it? And then Jesus says this In that day at the end. What day? the day that when your sorrow is turned to joy and the day when you have the Holy Spirit and the, and the day that you live in the, in the realm where the Spirit is with you, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, there he is, I said it again, this is absolutely true thing that he's wanting to state. I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. And then he says this, until now you've asked nothing in my name, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is the same thing that Jesus has been reiterating. He's been been mentioning since chapter 14 about asking of the Father in his name and that whatever you ask the Father in his name, he'll give to you. Now Jesus is saying, until now, you haven't asked the Father of anything in my name. You've asked me directly because I've been face to face with you. This is what Jesus is saying. Until now, I've been with you, physically with you, You've been able to ask me all your direct questions. You haven't talked to the Father. In that day, a day that's coming, when I'm actually physically gone, you will ask the Father directly. You will ask him directly. And you'll ask in my name, and truly, truly, whatever you ask in my name, he will give to you. But then he says this at the end. Ask and you'll receive. That your joy may be full. So as real peace is being given by Jesus and real peace and real joy. You see that for the disciples, it's totally dependent on their personal relationship with Jesus, but their personal relationship with the Father who now they speak to because Jesus is no longer there and now they have direct access to the Father. We have direct access to the Father. And anything we ask, we receive if we ask in the name of Jesus so that our joy can be full I feel like we have a good understanding of what Jesus is talking about here. This is as fast as I could go a lot of there's some new nuance here there's some deep things here. So let me sum it up this way. To sum up the passage and i 'll put it on the screen. The disciples are sad and now confused by jesus' prediction. Some things are about to happen that will be sad, but Jesus assures them their sorrow will turn to joy after a little while. In fact, all that's happening is for their joy and so that it can be full. All right, we got a good understanding of the passage. Now let's make it personal. Let's make it personal. So what do we do when we have a passage like this that's, we're we're seeing something that happened and we're seeing a direct conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples, his 11 disciples at the time, 11 because Judas is gone. He's having it with the disciples and we know like th- these things don't necessarily directly, he's not directly speaking to me, so what do I do with this? Well, there are some absolute universal, universal truths from this passage though that we can pull out and that we, we should be thinking about and implying to ourselves as well who are also disciples of Jesus. So here's what I want to do. Here's how I want to bring this home to us. Here's where I want us to be encouraged by what we've read and what we've understood. I want to give you four things. Four things we should remind ourselves when our hearts are filled with sorrow from this passage, that we can draw from this passage. Alright, right, now I'm asking you to take your mind out of the past and bring it into the present. And I want you to think about sorrow in your own life. I want you to think about the circumstance that either you've been in, you are in, or you see before you. It's filling your hearts with sorrow. When I say filling, I mean just like disciples. It is causing everything else to get pushed out. And the only thing you can ever think about is whatever this situation or this circumstance is, that is filling your hearts with sorrow. Four things you need to see about the character of God, about truth, that are true from this passage, might be good to tell yourself, remind yourself in these moments. First thing's this. It's okay It's okay if I can't grasp what God is doing. You know something's going on in your life and you're unable to see what the whole purpose of it all is. It is okay that you cannot grasp what God is doing in your life. Verses 16 and 18, what do we see? We see the example of disciples absolutely confused. And even at one point they say, we don't know what he's talking about. We don't know. All all we know is that our hearts are filled with sorrow. He's trying to encourage us, but none of it's getting through because here, right, and now, facing what I'm facing, looking at what I'm looking at, all I can experience is the sadness and the sorrow that's filling my heart. It is 100% okay and does not mean that there's something wrong with you or that God is not with you because you can't grasp what is going on. And all the efforts to try to take control and grasp and understand and make sense of whatever affliction you may be facing right now is not some type of sign that something is wrong. It is an example that you can see all through scripture of God working and bringing people in circumstances where they do not know what is going on. You think Joseph could have grasped what was going on when his brothers sold him into slavery? Proverbs three five and six, right? You're in the middle of it. Sorrow is filling your heart. You're trying to make sense of it in your mind. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Trust. Second thing is this: we should remind ourselves when our hearts are filled with sorrow. God knows how I'm feeling and He cares deeply about it. God knows exactly what you're going through, how you're feeling, the confusion you're in, where you're sad, what your questions are. He knows exactly what you're experiencing and what you're going through, and he cares deeply about it. Look at the heart of Jesus this whole time. Jesus is the one. I mean, He He can taste, taste death. It's hours away where his betrayers come in and they take him. And in the the night that he's been up all night, no sleep is now brought into the morning where he will eventually be brought back and forth between people, tossed to and fro. He'll begin to be slapped and mocked and beaten and scorned. He is the only one who is going to actually experience pain and affliction all for the sake of his people. And all of this is to comfort us and to save us. He is the one who's going to experience something that's that's worthy of being anxious about. And he spends his time, his last times with his disciples doing what? Trying to comfort their hearts. All the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. The compassion, how he cared deeply. Even people notice this with Jesus. So they see him weeping over someone. And that Lazarus passes away. And the Jews are like, see how much he cared. The reason this point is good to remind ourselves is because when we're in a circumstance that's afflicting or sorrowful or undesired or confusing, one, we feel like we have to know what's going on. No, you don't. And then two, we're tempted to think that God doesn't care what's going on. No, he does. He does care. He knows the nights that you've spent. He, he, he knows the, the retreats that you've had to get alone just to keep others from seeing you cry. He sees the moments of frustration and anger and pain and confusion. And he also sees where the enemy is starting to turn your heart away from good truth into lies that will consume you. It's good to remind yourself, no, I don't care how I feel in this moment. I know God cares about what I'm going through. And because I'm feeling what I'm feeling in my body or in my mind or my emotions does not mean he doesn't care. Look at how he cared for his disciples. Even though he told them, don't let sorrow fill your heart, sorrow still filled their hearts and he still was patient and kind with them. Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 both give us a clue into the heart of God and that he is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And the other Psalm says that God keeps track of all your sorrow. Track of all your sorrows and he's bottled up every single one of your tears in his bottle. Don't let the enemy convince you he doesn't care. We're talking about a God who's been able to keep track of and care about and be acquainted with every single tear of every single person that's ever lived. He's not some distant God who has no time for you. He's with you and he cares about the pain and the confusion you're experiencing. And then Peter Reminds us in the New Testament, cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he what? Let me hear you say it. Because he cares for you. Or human. I know someone here has been entertaining the lie that God doesn't care about you. You know that's not true. You see, actually, the scripture is coming along to remind us and try to show us that it's actually not the circumstances that are so dangerous, it's what starts going through your mind when you're experiencing the circumstances. That's why it's so true that you must renew your mind on a daily basis and dwell in truth and on God's word and why the Spirit's here to help you. That's part of why he's here to help you, to guide you into all truth and to remind you of the things that Jesus said because that's the most important thing in your life is that you remember who Jesus is and what truth is and how that applies to you always and fight against the lies that are coming in because the, the battle is won here. Third thing is this, third truth to remind yourself when your heart's filled with sorrow. This is a big one. God's promises are what I need, not answers. God's promises are what I need. They are enough. I don't need answers. It's a big one because what has Jesus been doing for it? they're asking for answers. They've asked multiple times. And he doesn't say, oh, okay, well, what's going to happen is I'm going to, you know, Judas betrayed me and then I'm going to go to the cross and they're going to do this. And, and, but don't worry from the cross, I'm going to, there's going to be three criminals and, you know, and then they're going to put me and don't, don't worry. Like, like on the third day, Sunday, you guys don't even be sad because I'm going to, I'm going to raise it. He doesn't answer it like that. Does he? That's what we want. Like, give me the details so I can know, be ready for it and, and feel the sense of security from the control that I have of knowing every detail. Anybody struggle with that? Me too. What does Jesus give? He gives them truly, truly promises. Promises that I'm going to take care of you and you don't need to know. Just trust me. Like This, this is the story of scripture, right? You don't need, to just, just trust me. He says here, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament The world will rejoice, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. What is this? He guarantees. I'm guaranteeing you what's gonna happen in your heart. I'm guaranteeing you that the pain you're feeling is going to be temporary and not permanent. That's what you need to know. You need to have hope, and hope is far more important than the details. I want you to focus on the hope you have. I want you to focus on the fact that my my, the pain you're going to experience is temporary. And trust me, truly, truly, your sorrow is gonna be turned to joy. And then he says later, truly, truly, there's gonna be a time, you're not gonna ask me directly, you're gonna ask my Father, direct access to the Father, with veil t- tears in two, no more veil and wall between us and God, you have direct access to the Father himself, who is the giver of all things, and that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with who there is no shadow of variation due to change, you're gonna have a direct personal relationship with you, and he's gonna love you because you love me anything you ask in my name he's going to give to you truly truly right so he gives him promises and guarantees but what about when we're going through sorrow right we need to know right we i want to be able to sleep at night and my dependency of peace and sleep Is based on me knowing exactly what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, and then me being able to do everything in my power to make sure what's going to happen doesn't happen or that I'm able to adjust perfectly to it, and we spend all of our effort trying to gain for something that God's not giving us and says, no, I'm not going to give it to you. I want you to have the hope and the faith and the trust and the examples of how I take care of you in the moments of sorrowful circumstances. Look through scripture, Psalm 46, be still. Know that I am God. Why is that so powerful? Why? Because we're wrestling and we're churning like the sea in these moments. Be still, remember who's God. Reflect on me. Trust my promises over you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Is that good enough for you when life is really, really hard and you can't make sense of it? I love you and my mercies are new every morning. When you sin, my grace abounds much more than your sin does. Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials, knowing that these trials are testing your faith. They're producing, they're growing you and producing the perseverance and the patience. Let patience have its perfect work. Count it all joy. Matthew 6 Like the birds, look, I take care of them. I love you more than these birds. I will take care of you. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who who love God God and who are called according to his purpose. A guarantee and a promise that you just need to know that what's happening isn't a strange, bad thing. I'm in control and I will make it work for your good. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Like these are the promises that the truths, the character of God, and the promises of his goodness over you, that he wants to be your strength in these moments of sorrow. If you leave these, this is God's prescription for you, you leave these and you start to clamor for some type of control and help, you will find the the abyss of anxiety and confusion. And fake peace. You will find it. And you will dwell very much inside of it. And it will not lead you to your joy being full. God's promises are enough. I do not need answers. Look at this last one. Last thing I should remind myself when sorrow is filling my heart's. I can't expect joy apart from personal, proper communication with my father. This is a big one. I cannot expect to have my joy be full apart from having a, a personal, and I say, I'm going to explain it, proper communication with my father. And in chapter 17, what are you going to see? An example of Jesus Talking with his father in a very personal and proper way. What do you see now in the disciples? The disciples are experiencing sorrow. They're asking Jesus. And Jesus is what? He, it, we're seeing it happen right now. They're, they're in the midst of the sorrow. They, they 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 actually don't ask Jesus. They just think it. And then Jesus has to pull it out of them and say, Is this what you want to ask me? Well, I know you want to ask me. None of you are asking me this, but let me go ahead and answer and give you exactly what you need. That will, that will help you and make you joyful. Look at these promises over your life. So Jesus says, hey man, up to this point, you've asked nothing in my name. You, you haven't talked to the Father and prayed things in my name up to this point. But I'm gonna leave and there's gonna be a time where just like you're talking to me now, now you're gonna talk directly to the Father. He's gonna, you're gonna ask and you're gonna receive When you ask in Jesus name so that your joy will be full, which means everything that God gives you, everything that you receive from him when you ask is all part, all part of the actual plan that will actually turn those sorrowful hearts into joy. But how often, how often we come to sorrow, what do we do? We try to take matters in our own, we don't talk to God at all, do we? It's the last thing we want to do, right? Because our heart's full of unbelief. We just, you know, it's not going to make a difference, right? Because we want to, we don't, we want God to make the difference we want Him to make, right? And we just, we just, we put that on the shelf and it just seems to be the hardest thing to do because our flesh is weak, but I know I should pray, I know, I, and what do we do? We just think, we just spend time thinking about what we should probably ask Him and never asking Him. But the joy being full in our life, Let me read this. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. There is no other path, no other road to joy apart from a personal and proper relational communication with the Father. Now, why do I say personal and proper? I say personal because Jesus and what he has done has made this relationship with the Father very personal. The veils come down. We don't have things between us or barriers. Jesus is our mediator and advocate with the father and the father loves us and has made reconciliation possible. And now we can come boldly as Hebrews tells us to his throne to find mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Another big point is that when you pray, you pray to the father the father is the one you're praying to. Jesus made that possible. The spirit's in you to remind you of these things of what you should be doing. One of the things he will remind you and keep before you is that you should be talking with the father. It matters. The Trinity matters and the Trinity works in such a way perfectly, right? I'm not saying that it's wrong to talk to Jesus or wrong to talk to the spirit, but we are commanded and exhorted to pray directly to the father. And that's a big deal because the Father is one we've lost access to and Jesus has brought it back. And he is the one who provides everything. He is the Jehovah Jireh. He provided Jesus. He has provided everything. He is the Father. Your joy is dependent on you talking with him. a Personal, relational conversation. And then I say proper. What is the proper way to talk to God. In Jesus name. Multiple times Jesus says, when you pray in my name. And this is one of these things that we have to rewire because today there is a great misunderstanding what it means to pray in Jesus name. One, we've taken that phrase in Jesus name and we'll put it on the end of our prayers, which isn't wrong, but to the point where we feel like if I don't if I don't put that tagline there, then my prayer wasn't real. Or if I'm praying in Jesus' name, God, you promise that if I prayed in your name, you will give all that I ask. And so, man, I'm, I've asked you like for 40 things, and I've prayed in Jesus' name, and you haven't given them to me, God. You're a liar, right? That's what the devil's trying to do in our heart. That's what happens in our hearts when we have a wrong understanding of what's meant here. Personal but then proper, which means in the spirit and under the will and what accords with God's will is what in the name of Jesus, which I am praying and asking for the things that God wants me to ask for. There are things that God has revealed that are absolutely true that he wants for you and that he will do for you. And when you ask in Jesus name, according to his will, he promises he'll do that. I'll give you an example one of the things we don't know if is in the name of Jesus is things things before us like choices god i'm I'm praying that I get this job or or that my car doesn't break down or or that this you know this medical uh, uh diagnosis i'm going to get like w- I'm praying that it'll be this way and I'm praying in Jesus' name and then it doesn't happen and then something small or big begins to happen in our heart and our faith and our belief about God. We start to try to rethink, well, he said he would. What did he mean by that? Well, these are the areas of life that are, that are in the dark. We don't know if these things are according to his will. Jesus himself prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. Okay to pray for the things that you want, but you are always under the desire of wanting what God wants. Now, here's an example of something that is in the name of Jesus that is 100% something he will give to you every time you ask him. So what is something that you know Jesus wants from you? We know he wants us to love one another, right? So when you're struggling to love someone, and you pray, you say, God, this is my brother. And you say, how can I say I love you, but then hate my brother? I'm dwelling with bitterness and anger and hatred in my heart towards my brother or sister. God, would you give me a love for that person? That's praying in Jesus' name. It's something you already know he desires. It's not in the dark. Does God want that or not? He absolutely wants that. And if you're praying and asking for it, this is the guarantee he'll give it to you in the context of taking the light into a dark world, the disciples, you're gonna bear witness for me, you better believe that's gonna come with a lot of prayer requests. I'm going out in the midst of a world that hates you and hates me. And that you just said, well, even try to kill us based off loving you because the world is evil. And so, so God, I'm needing strength right now to be able to stand before people and bear witness. And I feel like I'm going to fall away. Does God want you to fall away? Absolutely not. God, give me the strength to not be afraid of their faces and stand before them and bear witness and honor you and not give in to the fear of man. You better believe God is going to answer that prayer because that's something that you know that He wants. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So when you pray in Jesus' name and you don't get what you asking for, what you're asking for, or the way that you're asking for, it's not because God is a liar. It's because what it means to pray in Jesus' name is different than what our Society in Christian culture over the last few years has made it. It's not a magical saying that grants all your wishes. It's a heart that says, God, what you have is best. I know it and I submit to it. And I have areas of my life that have big question marks. And so I'm gonna pray and seek your face, but I'm also knowing that your plan is better. Why? Because here we are now, the same very event that brought so much sorrow to the disciples' hearts, is now bringing joy. And the same thing will be true for our life as well. Let's pray. Father, you're good and you're great. Help us during this time in the moments of our life where our hearts are filled with sorrow to trust you, to love you, and put all of these things into your hands got to pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.